On December 17, 1903, two Ohio brothers who were better known for their bikes than their airplanes changed the world, and yet hardly anyone even noticed. In fact, the Dayton newspaper did not report on the event for not five days, not five months, but for a full five years until after the Wright brothers had taken their initial flight. You can understand their hesitancy. The flight itself was not that spectacular by today's standards anyway. It literally went 120 feet for the first time. The first flight would not even have qualified as a fly ball, but a simple pop-up in the infield. You can literally run faster than the first powered flight, and by you, I mean you. I did it this summer while we were out in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and I am not exactly in sprinting shape trying for the 2024 Olympics, that's for sure. And that Wright brother, the original Wright Flyer airplane that you might see in the Smithsonian, yeah, that only flew for a grand total of less than a quarter of a mile and its entire all light in one day before the wind grabbed it and wadded it up into a little ball. Let's just say that that flyer that you see in the Smithsonian is held together by a lot of Elmer's glue right now. And yet, it changed the world. Think about this. From the time of the first flight in 1903, it took less than 25 years for Charles Lindbergh to fly across the Atlantic by himself without stopping. In less than 50 years, they were flying supersonic when Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier, flying about 735 miles an hour faster than what the Wright brothers did. In less than 70 years, man was walking on the moon for the first time. It changed our world quite a bit too as well, didn't it? I've been on probably about 15 trips around the world where literally it would have taken months to travel there. Now I complain if it takes me more than 24 hours to get all the way to Africa. If that's my time frame, I am complaining and I am sore and I am miserable. I never would have made it in the old days, that's for sure. From the Wright brothers' humble beginnings, huge steps were taken forward. And today we want to talk about the steps that we want to take forward as a church here at East Point as well. And we're going to be doing so over the next four weeks by taking a look at what we call our flight plan. Since we are right here in the flight path, since we have all these amazing aviators with Ohio roots, we're going to take a look at them and some of the lessons they can teach us, starting with the Wright brothers this week. Because we believe that a lot of the stuff that we do, nobody notices either. We believe that just like the Wright brothers, some of the things that we do go unnoticed. Some of the ways we invest in our community and the way that we invest in our families, some of the things that we do to invest in our spiritual lives, nobody may notice at first, but it can change our world as a result of doing them. Out of our humble beginnings, God can do something both good and great in your lives. Do you believe that? And so over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at our Only God Can flight plan. Next week, we're going to take a look at evangelism. 
We're going to take a look at a lesson uh, from the Tuskegee Airmen, who largely were headquartered here after World War II, and see what their loyalty can teach us. We'll take a look at discipleship in the life of John Glenn, and finally we'll take a look at the next generation. We'll take a look at what Neil Armstrong and his walk on the moon can teach us. All, of course, looking back to Scripture. But I want to take a look at four forces of flying this morning that I think apply to our lives. Four forces that the Wright brothers started to understand for the first time that we understand today. Did you know that the Wright brothers are actually the first ones to come up with a wind tunnel as well? There would have been no airplane if they wouldn't have first came up with a wind tunnel. Those guys were geniuses. And they had made pretty good bikes too. So here's the four forces of flight and how they can affect us. There's drag, there's thrust, there's lift, and there's gravity. Now, I'm not going to give you a lesson on flying an airplane today, but what I do want to tell you is this, is that we have drag in our church and in our community as well. There are forces at work that hold us back, that keep us from becoming all who we are created to be. What are those forces? What are those things that are dragging us down, our communities down, our churches down? What do we do to change them? Well, we overcome those with thrust. How is it that we overcome those situations where we have drag, where we have resistance? We overcome it with a power, with strength. Strength that comes from God, but also strength that is put into work through our own hands. We, just like an airplane, has gravity. We have structures that can keep us on the ground if they're not used appropriately. We overcome them with lift. We have to have wings that that are the right size for our airplane, that are designed right, that are going to have the structures that are going to lift us off the ground. And so, rather than breaking down all these different things in these four categories this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about our community. About our community that is surrounding our church. And what we find out first is that our community is beautifully diverse around East Point. You see, nationwide, about 59% of our population is white, about 12% is African American, and about 5% is Asian. But within a one-mile radius of our church, of East Point, 50% of the population is white, while 29% of the population is African American, and 11% are Asian. And so we see that beautiful diversity reflecting itself in our Sunday congregational meetings, in our gatherings, in our worship services, And frankly, it's a taste of heaven. Because God gathers people from all nations, from all tribes, from all tongues, from all backgrounds, and He brings them to His Son, Jesus Christ. And when we see a diversity in our worship services, it reminds me of what eternity will be like. And it is a beautiful picture. In the midst of all of the the division that we have had uh, in our country, the reality is, is that East Point is bringing a little slice of heaven to this world. But we also see that our closest neighbors are six times, not 6%, but six times more likely to be Hindu or Muslim than the national average. We have a mission field right in our backyard. People who do not yet know the name of Jesus. People who are not yet following Jesus. And God has placed us here so that we can impact them with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is something that we must celebrate and cherish That is never something that we should resent. It is something that is beautiful that God wants us to reach out to our neighbors who are closest to us. We also find that our neighbors are very transient. 
Our closest neighbors are almost two times as likely as the national average to have lived here two years or less. And 48% of our closest neighbors have lived here five years or less. That's good news and bad news, isn't it? What that means is that there are people always moving into our church area who are new, who are fresh, who we have the opportunity to reach out to and to bless. It also means that a lot of us are on the move, too. For whatever reason, this area has shown its transiency. And we want to encourage you that if you're going to be moving, if people are going to be moving, we want to encourage people to grow in Christ before they move. But we also want to encourage people to stay. The transient life and having to make new friends all the time in new neighborhoods is not easy. It's not even healthy. And so if we can stay and make a lasting impact in our neighborhood, I think we will see God's work go deeper and deeper. Our area is also very young. Our most immediate neighbors are far more likely to have children ages 0 to 18 living at home than the national average. And 67% of those closest to our church are 54 years or younger compared to the national average of 48%. That's almost a time and a half higher to be younger. And 32% of our neighbors are either single parents or in an at-risk marriage compared to 23% of the national average. That means that there's a lot of single moms that are close to us who are working their tails off in order to, to provide for their kids and their family. That means that there's a lot of moms and dads who are struggling to get by in marriage that we need to be there for to walk with them and to help them find the healing that they need. And it's no question that one of the greatest obstacles that people in our area face is finances. While our area is thoroughly middle class with health, healthy household incomes, 69% of our neighbors have a household debt, not including mortgage, that exceeds $15,000. That's what we call bad debt. The national average is 38% as opposed to 69%, those who are closest to us. And 66% of our closest neighbors have 10% or less of their incomes as discretionary income compared to the national average of 44%. That means that people in our area are fighting to get by. People are fighting to get ahead. And that means that we as a church have to look and say, how can we help people? How can we help people uh, in their marriages? How can we help them in their finances? How can we help them raise children? Because this is such a vital component of the next generation. If we don't overcome those obstacles, how can we bring change to our area? There's one more bit of stats that I want to share with you this morning. And this is probably the one that hit me harder than any other. All these stats that I'm sharing with you today come from a demographic study uh, that uh, Barna uh, has done, which Barna is one of the leading research organizations in the world. And they break people down into five different spiritual styles. That means that they grow best or that they, they think they grow best through one of these five different styles. I'm going to share three of them with you today. The one that's most predominant in our area is studier at 44%. This is compared to the national average of 27%. So people in our area, they're trying to get ahead. They're trying to grow in knowledge. They're trying to grow in wisdom. That means when we offer things at the church where we're helping things grow, whether it be um, a, a TESOL class where people are trying to learn English, or whether it be uh, that they are trying to learn about their finances, or whether it's trying to be learn more about the Bible, that those things are more likely to be responded well to. 
The second highest is spiritual style is that of relator. In our area, it's 29% compared to the national average of 18%. What that means is that people make sense. They're new to the area as a general rule. They want to make connections. They want to make friends. They want to build those connections. And so we recognize that East Point is a very friendly church, an outgoing church, an outwardly minded church. We think that this is a place where people can come and build those relationships that can last a lifetime. But there's one more thing that I want to share with you this morning that was very troubling to me. The highest spiritual style nationwide is that of a server at 36%. That means that you grow through serving other people. However, in a five-mile radius of East Point, only 20% are classified as servers. And if we zoom in even closer to a mile around East Point, we see that that number dropped all the way from 36% nationwide to 1% server. Guys, that is extremely troubling. And we see that reflected. Anyone who has tried to recruit volunteers knows. Anytime that we do something to serve our community, whether it be the rummage sale or some other action in our community, we see people thanking us profusely. And, and honestly, it's a little bit awkward like how they thank us for doing it. We're like, well, of course we do that. We're a church. That's what we're supposed to do. But what it shows is that this area is extremely underserved. And that means that if we're going to reach our area, we must be willing to become servants. Guys, this isn't just a statistic. What I, I believe this is a spiritual issue where we need to up the bar ourselves. We don't need to look out and say, man, look at the people out there. They don't want to serve anybody. We need to say, hey, we need to raise the bar in our own service. We need to raise the bar in how we serve other people. And I think I'm the right guy for the job. Do you know why? It's because I used to stink at it too. Not that I'm great at it now, but, you know, you've heard me share stories about, like, some of the things we've done with building the beds for kids in Omaha, and that actually broke a thousand beds delivered a couple weekends ago with the crew that's, that's there that's leading it up now. We're thrilled with that. Uh, you know, you've heard me tell stories about these big service project events. The reality is, is none of those things come naturally to me. When I was graduated from college, right after I graduated from college, I went on an overseas mission trip to go play basketball in Malaysia. And we got together, the team got together in San Francisco uh, and for a training camp. And as we were doing this training camp, um, they gave us a spiritual gifts inventory. How many of you have ever done a spiritual gift inventory? Okay, so some of you know what that is, where you go down through all the spiritual gifts and, you know, you, you, know, you figure out, you know, hey, like, you know, well, here, here's a 10. That's definitely one, you know, that mine that it is. And as we were going through it, you know, everybody got 10s, 9s, 8s in different areas. Mine were like preaching and teaching. But then down at the bottom, I had one that came in as a zero. And I was like, um, did anybody else get a zero? <laughs> And everybody else said no, and the guy who's leading it up said, Dustin, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never had anybody get a zero before. And I was like, well, well what is it? And so he said, well, what number is it? And I said, number eight. And so he looks up number eight, and he said, Dustin, you got a zero in service. I thought, oh, no. Like, I mean, if you get like a zero in like preaching or something, that'd be bad for me. But, you know, like some of you might give me a zero in preaching. We can talk about that later. That's okay. 
But the reality is, is you get a zero in service, that's a spiritual condition. And man, God used that zero to speak into my life and said, Dustin, you're, you're too much about yourself. You're too much about what you want to get done as opposed to what God wants to do. You need to roll up your sleeves and start serving. And believe it or not, God spoke through a homeless man on that journey to Malaysia um, that, that absolutely um, changed my life. Um, and uh, the rest of the trip was crazy because I'd go to pick something up. We had all this big equipment we'd bring in for these games. I'd go to pick something up. Somebody'd say, no, 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 Dustin, that's not your spiritual gift. Put that down, put that down. I'm like, no, 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 i got to develop it. It's not just a spiritual gift. It's a heart condition. Let me carry it. And, and it was crazy. But, but the reality is, is what I want to tell you is that we can grow in our area. What if our area became known for its legendary service? What if our area became known as a part of town where people reached out and served one another in ways that were absolutely mind-blowing and astounding. That's what spiritual transformation can look like when God takes our 1% and he turns it into a 99%. I think that God can do something that great. Before we get into the text today, I want to just give you a few takeaways for our church. First, we've been hitting something called the 400 barrier for the last 16 years. Ever since we've been at this location, there are well-known barriers in church growth. This one's called the 400 barrier. It has to do a lot with structures more than anything else. It's not that God's not blessing us. It's that there are some internal changes that we need to make. I invited Gary Johnson to come share this morning via video just briefly about the 400 barrier and about one of the steps that we need to take to do that, uh, about reorganizing our bylaws in a way that allows us to be a little more free uh, in helping us to achieve this barrier. And so uh, here's Gary Johnson via video to share with us. Hey, Dustin, thanks for the invitation to participate in today's sermon. Uh, greetings, friends at East Point. My name is Gary Johnson. I serve as the executive director here at E2 Effective Elders in Indianapolis. We want to thank you for the partnership that we have with ECC to walk alongside of you. It's been a good first year in that journey. Uh, we are grateful for the staff and elder teams at ECC working together last November to produce an exciting vision, mission, core value statement. Uh, we were able to share your video from your Facebook page of the roof being painted with only God can, uh, declaring to everybody flying over your uh, church building that hope that is in Jesus. Uh, we've shared that on our Facebook page, and I want you to know that it's reached almost a thousand people telling that good story. Um, also, too, I want to just share with you, I know that Pastor Dustin's going to be bringing to you some great news about a three-year strategic plan that we help facilitate with your elder and staff teams as well. Most recently now, another initiative that we're working on is a review of your bylaws. Think of it this way, the Fuller Institute of Church Growth out in California. They did studies and they said that it doesn't matter what kind of a church we are, Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Lutheran, uh, Methodist, independent Christian church, doesn't matter what kind of a church we are, there are three typical barriers of growth, 200, got to do something to break through 200, then you hit up against 400, and then you break, uh, hit up against 800. ECC keeps hitting that 400 barrier, and something that will help you break through that is the internal structure of ECC, and I'm not talking about bricks and mortar and steel framing. 
I'm talking about the internal governance structure, the bylaws. You know, uh, think of it this way. There are eight traits of health inside a church, just like we have cardiac health, we have pulmonary health, our lungs, we have mental health, we have all of these different systems working together. Similarly, in the church, there are these eight different areas of church health, one of which is called polity, the internal structure. Think of it like bones, skeletal. And our bones give us form and function. They even give us blood components. And if our bones are not healthy, we will not be healthy. And healthy things grow. So what we are doing right now with ECC is helping to do a review of the bylaws so that they will add to the church health the health of the local church, and uh, you'll break through that 400 barrier. You know, we've done this with many, many churches across America. For example, one of our partner churches out in Kansas, they had bylaws that were pages long, and they required them, for example, to elect a president and a vice president of the congregation. They had people running against one another to be president and vice president of the congregation. And we just said, where do you get that in the good book? Where's that found anywhere in the word of God? It's not there. So we helped them redo their bylaws. And today, I just want you to know, they are in five worship services, five on a Sunday morning. And they're going to be breaking through that 2000 barrier sooner than later. This is important to the interior health of the local church. So uh, please listen well to the word of God and understand that when we build the internal structure of the church more like the New Testament, God is honored by that. And then only God can make that 400 barrier become a thing of the past. Lead well there at East Point Christian Church, my friends, and serve well in the name of Jesus. As we continue to, uh, to look at that, Barry, we also look at the reality that we need to build some leadership layers in our teams, recognizing that we need some of you to step up into leadership roles to help facilitate. This will help Scott and Andre and myself in dramatic ways as well as Melanie, as well as we look at how we can grow and reach more people for Christ. I know one of the areas that I'm starting to be with and leading by example with is with an operations team. We know we def definitely need an executive pastor at some point in time, but there's simply no way we can do that financially at this point. But So I'm gathering a group of volunteers uh, to help serve on an operations team with me. Uh, I say that uh, our ops team is to help us from becoming an oops team. They're to help us to plan ahead so that we don't make as many mistakes in those areas. And so we're excited for that opportunity uh, to grow and to share the leadership. If you know me and my preaching well enough, you know that it's killing me right now that we haven't introduced any scripture yet. You know that this has been a, a bear because I love for the sermon to be about scripture and the next several weeks will be. But I want to take a look this morning at Mark 4. This next four weeks, we're going to be spending most of our time in Mark 4, and there's three parables and one storm story. Today, we talk about the parable of the seed. And I think you're going to find that in this parable, just as the Wright brothers started off and hardly anybody noticed, it seems like what happens in the story of this farmer is that nobody noticed what was happening either. Only he knew what he had done, 
And yet God brought about something great as a result. In Mark 4, verse 26, it says, The kingdom of God is like this. This is Jesus speaking. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends it for the sickle, because the harvest has come. It's a short parable, and here it is in the middle of Mark, and one that we often forget about. We think of it as the parable of the sower, which we'll look at next week. But this parable of the seed shows that this farmer has, been, has an only God can kind of deal. The reality is, is that farming requires a lot of faith. I know that from growing up in a farm community and growing up around the farm, that farmers, they put last year's profits in the ground in hopes of growing this year's profits. It's not an easy thing to do. It takes a lot of faith, and you take a, after you get through planting, you spend all summer praying for rain and hoping that it'll come before the bugs come and eat it all away. The reality is, is that the kingdom of God is a similar way. We plant it, we put it in the ground, but it's God who makes it grow. It's God who takes what we do in our individual lives as spiritual practices and turns it into character. It's God who takes what we do in our marriage, investing in it, and turns it into a healthy marriage. It's God who takes what happens in the lives of our family and our children and our grandchildren, raising them up and praying for them and seeing them grow and become something of a servant with their life where they're serving others for the kingdom of God. And it's God who takes the, the feeble efforts that we do, whether we're greeting or whether we're serving in children's ministry or whether we're, we're singing or preaching here on Sunday mornings, and he takes those efforts in our church and he magnifies them and he multiplies them and he grows them to become something good that brings life change into the life of others. The kingdom of God is all about God taking our feeble efforts and multiplying them into something great. We may plant the seed, but it is God who makes it grow. In the same way, what I've laid out for you this morning, I've laid out some of the obstacles that we have in front of us. I've laid out for you some of the challenges and opportunities that we have. And the reality is, is we're going to be working on some things to address all of them. But at the end of the day, we are dependent upon God to make them grow. And just like the Wright brothers, we see that from humble beginnings, God grows a great harvest. Does any of you know how many kernels of corn there is on an ear of corn? Anybody? Take a guess? A lot? That's great. That's great. That You were exactly right. Well, when I was out at Nebraska Christian College, we had a cornfield right out back door. And so I went out there one day just to count and see. And, and believe it or not, uh, I counted every single kernel, and the number I came up with on that ear of corn was 666. Yeah, that was a bad ear. We threw that out and tried again. That was just a bad sign. Uh, 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 away from me, anathema, you know, uh, get away from me. And, uh, but, but the reality is, is, you think about that, you know, six to seven hundred is a, is a pretty common number for a decent year of corn. Depends on what part of the country you're in. You can get more uh, back in our cornfields in Illinois, unless my, my father in law's grown it, then it's going to be four or five hundred probably. But, you know, you, we got that there. And, and you plant that seed in the ground, and, 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 and there's, something, uh, there's something not magical, there's something spiritual about the whole process process of how God takes that one seed and he makes it grow. And the reality is, is a lot of you are working to try to get ahead in your jobs and in your businesses. A lot of you are trying to work to get ahead in your life. And I'm asking you, like, that's great. Maybe you can make that work. But what are you doing in your spiritual life? Because that's what God makes grow. 
God can do so much more, something that lasts, something that's permanent, something that you will rejoice when you look back in your life at the end and say, I'm so glad I invested in that because not only did it multiply, but it's going to last forever. From humble beginnings, God grows a great harvest and it is a harvest that lasts. Let me give you a few Bright Brothers principles in clothing. In clothing. <laughs> in closing, I will keep my clothing on, yes. Sheesh. Yeah, God can use even a preacher who stumbles over his words, believe it or not. <laughs> the first Wright Brothers principle, I told you how short the first flight was, but you know what? Their main objective was to fly without getting killed. <laughs> they were the first ones doing it. And the reality is, is low and slow is a great place to start. It's okay if this takes time. Your first time off the ground might not be very far. It's like the first time trying to dunk a basketball. Chances are you're going to miss. Chances are you're not going to get off very high. You're not going to jump very high. Low and slow is a great place to start. Take that step of faith. It might be a baby step, but if it's still a first step, it's a first step. And next, and this is a tough one, because I don't know about you, but if I'm out like running, which you're going like, to have to wait a long time to see me run very far, but if I'm out running or taking a bike ride, do you know where I like that wind to be at? At my back. Push me along further and further. The only bad thing about the wind being at your back is you can smell yourself, right? Other than that, you know, it's a good thing. But you know what you want to do if you want to fly? Do you know why all those airplanes, when they're coming in for landing, on most days they're landing, coming in from here and they're landing here? Because they're flying into the wind. Because they know that the best way to take off and the best way to land is by turning into the wind, not with the wind at their back. Seems backwards, doesn't it? But that's one of the things that the Wright brothers figured out. No, no, no. You need to turn into the wind because that's what's going to create that lift. And a lot of you guys, you like that wind at your back just like me. But what I'm telling you is what if it's time to turn into the wind? What if it's time to turn into some of the adversity, some of the challenges that you've been facing, some of the things that you've been letting get by and say, you know what, it's time for me to face this head on because I've been walking and I've been running, but dang it, it's time to fly. It's time for me to take off. It's time for me to go to the next level. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to do that, it's time to turn into the wind because that's how you fly. So over the next three weeks, we'll, next week we'll take a look at the Tuskegee Airmen uh, and evangelism. And we're going to make paper airplanes in church. All right? You can bring your own. I'm telling you right now, you can bring your own paper airplane with you. You get to throw them at me. I bet none of you hit me. But you can just sure try. Uh, and then the next week we'll look at discipleship and John Glenn and, next, and then uh, the final week, next generation, Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. Let me leave you with this scripture this morning. From 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 9, your reminder. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Paul's the one's writing this. They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. But God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his reward according to his own labor, for we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. God is growing something in you. He's growing something in you personally. He's growing something in your family. He's growing something in our church and in our community. But my question for you today is this. What seed are you holding on to that you need to put in the ground? 
What seed are you holding on to that you need to get out the rake and you need to get out a little shovel? Don't bury it too deep. You need to get out that shovel and you need to bury that in the ground and then you need to let it water. You need to water it each day in God's word. You need to water it each day in prayer. You need to fertilize it with those relationships that you need around you. But you know what? You plant it. God will make it grow. He's been faithful to do so since the very beginning of creation and he won't stop now. You plant it. God will make it grow. Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness to make things grow out of the dirt. Lord, we recognize how much we need you to grow us, how much we need you to multiply our efforts. Lord, we recognize in this thing called church, it's not about what we can do. It's not about what we can get done on our own. We're going to do our best, but God, at the end of the day, we're digging a hole, we're putting a seed in the ground, we're covering it, we're watering it, we're fertilizing it, but it's you who makes it grow. It's you who we need. And so we trust in you, Lord, for you to grow this church, not for our glory, Lord, but because we want to see more people come to Christ, because we want to see East Point be a light here on the east side of Columbus. Because we want to see people all around the world come to faith because of some of the work that we do here at East Point. We want to see you bring the growth, Lord, as only you can do. And so we trust in you for that seed that is in our hands, that is in our hearts. And we take that step of faith to plant it today. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.